HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. This is day two at Charleston Wine and Food. You're listening live, I hope. My name is Kat Johnson for Heritage Radio Network. Um, We're going to be here all day today from 12 to 5 p.m. interviewing some of the best and brightest chefs, winemakers, food personalities that are at Charleston Wine and Food. So make sure that you leave, leave the stream on all day. We want to thank Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Charleston Wine and Food possible. And you can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash charleston2019 to see our full lineup so you can decide when you want to tune in who you want to listen to. Right now, to kick off day two of Charleston Wine and Food, I am joined by David Bancroft. Welcome, David. Hello, Kat. How are you? Good. This is your first time on Heritage Radio Network. I'm glad that you're finally joining us because I've been a fan and eating at your restaurants a lot in the past several years. So it's good to finally have you. I, I, I still remember the very first time we met. Yes, tell the story. And that was uh, so obviously Auburn, Alabama, big football town, and you have University of Alabama, which nobody likes, but it we was don't like them. on our way to a national championship, the biggest game of the year, Auburn versus Alabama, and you brought David Chang in. I was working for David Chang at the time. And so the yes. day before the game, you called in and said, please, you know, can we get a table? I said, oh, man, I mean, is, is it really David Chang or is it just your group? You're like, no, it's, it's Chef's really here. I think I had to have people, like, verify that I wasn't just someone you didn't know, like, trying to pull your leg. Well, I mean, it was the biggest. We were a brand-new restaurant, like two and a half months old. And I said, okay, so we found you a table. We got you one. Um, you know, we got a four-top, 7 p.m. perfect. He said, oh, it's, it's for 14 people. Like a 14 top. So, yeah, I'll never forget that. And the food I was, love you, though. The food was incredible. Um, we came in, and it was basically, there wasn't even a menu dropped on the table. It was like, chef is going to take care of you. And it was, my favorite thing that we ate that night was the venison heart tartare. That's right. Can you tell me about that? Because that, that was specially sourced. So... Obviously, when you said, you know, Chef Chang's coming, I was like, okay, so I got to do something kind of (laughs) cool. And I have no time. We just opened a restaurant. So um, I called one of my local farmers and asked if I could go hunting on his property and harvested a doe and then literally brought the heart in, I mean, fresh from the day before. So it was the way that I like to cook 
and one of the reasons I like to cook is, you know, obviously hunting and fishing and foraging and just living off the land it was always been an inspiration in my food. So that was the best thing I could possibly think to serve your group when y'all came in. It was delicious. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So Acres in the college town. I went to school at Auburn. Obviously, that's the connection there. That's um, why we're besties. That's why we're besties. And... Before Acre opened, you were at Amsterdam Cafe. Mm -hmm. There was Amsterdam. There were a couple of other, you know, restaurants. It's a fairly small town, so it's not like there were a ton of, you know, elevated restaurants you could go dine at in Auburn. And Acre kind of, I think, changed that a lot. And you have now been a semifinalist for a James Beard Award Best Chef Southeast a few times, most recently south. this year. We're south. In the, we're in the south. South category. So, um... Why, why did you think Auburn was ready for a restaurant like Acre? What made you decide that you were now ready to kind of go it on your own and pursue your own project? I mean, originally at the restaurant that I started at was, that was all of my testing ground. We spent all the time there developing menu ideas and, and testing the city limits. This is at Amsterdam. At Amsterdam Cafe. Um, you know, the owners, as things just started going good and the restaurant was getting packed and the line was out the door, um, you know, we, I expanded that restaurant and helped them expand it, filled those seats, and all we did was cook fresh food. Um, one of the biggest things I did was just bring in fresh seafood, fresh fish, and entertain everybody with new species they've never tried. So I, I literally taught myself culinary school at that restaurant, and the whole town at the time was, was very re receptive of it, supportive of it, and so it was a, the decision to go to a bigger town you know, may have ended up in, as maybe financially better long-term, but mm -hmm. the support was already there. The network was already there, and the structure that I needed was already there in town. So my wife and I felt so much support that we said, we're just going to set up shop here. So now we're in debt for long-term, two restaurants. Um, but Auburn is great. Opelika is great. The area is extremely supportive, and... I mean, it's literally a little perfect little town in a bubble. Um, you know, so when things happen like the tornadoes that recently came through, it's a very big deal, obviously, for any town. But in our town, everybody gets up off the couch and finds a way to help in their relief efforts. Um, I don't know if anybody knows, but Auburn, Alabama, Lee County area had an E4 tornado rip through our town, uh, took 23 lives. They're still actually looking for people. And it was obviously a, a, a horrible time for, the, for our town. And I saw so many people from my neighbor that lost one of his nurses. He's a doctor. One of his nurses was lost in the storm. One of my employees at the restaurant cried on my shoulder the next day. Um, sorry. So it was definitely something that the whole town had to rally. Everybody was affected. And we found the best thing that we could do was prepare hot meals. Everybody was have you know, they had plenty of supplies getting donated, um, plenty of toiletries and, and sanitary items being donated. We just wanted to do hot food and go out there and nourish, especially the first responders that were absolutely worn out. Um, so when I get back in town, we're still cooking. I have, you know, I have one of my chefs, Caleb Fisher, that is still leading the charge for our, for our tap or for our team. Um, we're, I think a, a, lot of, a lot of people have seen, you know, with big disasters recently that Jose Andreas has, like, done a lot to 
make sure that food's being supplied. Was that an inspiration for you at all? Um, like any sort of things, like strategies you took away from uh, efforts like that of like, how are we going to mobilize quickly and effectively in Lee County? I mean, uh, by day two or three, we were thinking strategy, but the first day, I mean, literally it was just activated. Mm -hmm. And all we did was, I mean, everybody just grabbed all the food we had, whatever was hot, and we took it to fire stations. We took it um, different city halls to feed people. And then we, we got in with some of the fire chiefs and one of the, the pastors of one of the larger churches in town that has a relief effort already put together. And we coordinated through them and they just kind of told us that these people are hungry. Go here, they're hungry. Now go over here, they're hungry. Do you have 50 more? Can you do 40 more? And so we were just, I mean, dividing to conquer and, and provide as many as we could for everybody. But And is all this food coming out of the kitchens of Acre and Bow and Arrow? Yes. So... We, you know, at Acre, we also did a, a benefit where we did burger night. And for us to make a burger, it's not like buy some patties, buy some buns. I mean, we make the buns, we grind the beef, we smoke our own bacon. One of my servers made the plates. Like we, you know, twice blanched the fries. I mean, it is a, you know, Ralph, our friend from South Africa, grows the tomatoes, the cucumbers for our pickles. We had to make our own pickles. And I mean, it is a very laborious burger. Um, so we sold 115 and we donated all those proceeds, um, mostly just for more funds to buy more groceries. So now we have like a little reserve tank of, of cash. That, and some people even came in and just donated big checks, like Tim Hudson that played for the Braves um, and the Hudson Foundation. They came in and wrote a big check and just said, you know, keep feeding people. That's incredible. Um, we just announced yesterday we're partnering with Southern Living and uh, Woodford Reserve and Brasstown Beef, and we're going to host a beef and bourbon dinner. And we've got Kelsey Bernard-Clark, who is currently a finalist on Top Chef. Uh, she's going to be, uh, be one of our collaborating chefs. I bet she wins, by the way. Um, we've got Rob McDaniel from Springhouse, who's been nominated four times for James Beard. I've got my chef at Acre, my chef at uh, Bow and Arrow. That's Caleb Fisher, Jeff Compton. And we've got Robbie Melvin from the Southern Living Kitchen. And we're all putting together a uh, five-course beef and bourbon dinner. It's $175 at Acre. We're going to donate 100% of the proceeds, and that's going to be on April 4th. Amazing. Um, so one thing I want to talk a little bit more about is Bow and Arrow because it is the new, the newer restaurant of the two. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the menu there, how it differs from Acre, and about the new location, which is not as close to downtown Auburn as Acre is. So I was born in Mobile, Alabama, but I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Actually, I grew up in Holotus which is like Flores Country Store, Willie Nelson, Robert O'Keen, George Straitland. And so Texas has always been influential in my cuisine, especially, you know, Texas-style smokehouses, barbecue, abuelas rolling cooler filled with tamales, Tex-Mex, um, even though I don't like the word Tex-Mex. But, you know, when, when practicing all that stuff I did at Amsterdam Cafe and preparing to build Acre, that was definitely an Alabama-driven restaurant off the terrain in Alabama, off the, the, the food and the groceries grown in Alabama, and had a little bit of Texas flair. Bow and Arrow is like complete role reversal and a complete ode to Texas. Um, to Texas Smokehouse, you walk in, you order your barbecue right off the fire pit from a butcher. So you just point at what you want, he slices it up or she slices it up, puts it on a tray, slides it down through the line of vegetables, we call the potluck. And you got butter, beans, mac and cheese, tater tot casseroles, collard greens. I mean, 
the Southern Works, and they scoop it up family style, swipe the card at the end of the register to get your drink. Uh, we have a condiment bar filled with different pickles and chow chows and relishes. You've got uh, taqueria style salsas. We make our own white bread there. We make our own tortillas. So we do flour tortillas so you can build tacos. Um, so really cool. Totally different experience. I have a question because I know that Bow and Arrow is across the street from a very large church. And I'm wondering if that location played into, because that, that, the way you're describing it makes it sound like an after-church kind of meal. It is definitely a church revival. <laughs> uh, across the street, you have Church of the Highlands, and we're good friends with Pastor Ren over there. Um, that's also who we partnered with for the tornado relief, just because they were already on the ground. They were already prepared. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, one of the things we did just to honor being across from a church was we did Dry Sunday. And so at the restaurant, we, you know, it, barbecue, and not a lot of barbecue places serve alcohol, but we do. Um, we've got a full bar, and on Sundays, we elected to not serve alcohol. All day, not just lunch? Well, we only do lunch. We, we okay. close after, you know, brunch. Mm. And so Sundays, we do dry Sundays. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit about something that always catches my eye on the Instagram feed is when I see all the in-house charcuterie that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk you don't even want to know what I brought to this this festival. I do want to know. You do? Okay. I do want to know. So we're actually <laughs> serving our charcuterie today. Um, we're doing a dinner at Park Cafe with Chef Pat. Uh, we're doing five courses. So I brought a cooler, and in the cooler I've got a 20-month-old ham, which we've already cut into it. It's pretty magical. Um, we brought some rabbit salami, and it's a rabbit sauce on sec. We brought some chorizo. We brought some curry goat salami. And so we're going to be doing a sampler at the dinner tonight, and then for dessert, it's going to sound crazy, but I don't normally like doing desserts because I don't eat a lot of sweets, but so if I do dessert, it has to be sweet and salty and everything that I want. Um, so we're doing Thomasville Tome turnovers. So imagine like baked brie, you know, brie en croute, but we're going to take Thomasville Tome out of Sweetgrass Dairy, Georgia. Um, we're going to fill these little hand pies, you know, baste them with loads of butter, and then I made a toasted fennel and apple jelly that we're going to glaze the pies with, drop some fresh raspberries and mint around, and then I'm taking the 20-month-old country ham, and I'm going to grate it like snow over the top just to give it that kind of like sweet and salty. Whoa. So what imagine a like a croque, a croque madame or a croque monsieur. But for dessert. But for dessert. Whoa. So what other events have you been participating in at Charleston Wine and Food this year? Um, as soon as we landed, we did the It's a Shore Thing. And we did redfish on the half shell. We got crushed. Um, we served the redfish like whole planks, barbecued on the scales, and we threw them up on the front table and just dropped spoons on the table and let everybody just do a fish picking. Um, that went over really well. And yesterday we did, um, what was it called? Smoking in the boys' room. Mm -hmm. I was paired with pitmaster Sarah McClure. She's amazing, by the way, um, and a total beast. I mean, she's she can cook so it was smoking in the boys room was male chefs paired with female pitmasters. Mm -hmm. i loved it it was amazing um and there were so many good dishes at that event last night what did you guys prepare we did smoked catfish sandwiches oh so my grandpa kennedy was a catfish farmer a cattle farmer cotton general you know all the works but catfish was his passion he loved it and even so much so that he built a little restaurant across the street from the fish farm. And then he even built a tank, a cinder block tank, 
that he filled up with water and put catfish in it swimming. So if you ordered catfish, literally like scoop a net, skin it, and drop it in the fryer. Um, but one of the things he did was smoked catfish that I've always thought was very unique. Um, so I got to use Grandpa's catfish cure, the same thing he did. And Sarah brought an awesome uh, coleslaw made out of collard greens. It was a collard green slaw. Uh, I brought Alabama white sauce. Of course. And we brought our pepper mashed pickles. So it was just a sloppy, sloppy smoked fish sandwich. Pickles at Acre, too, are not to be missed. Can you talk oh, yeah. a little bit about like the pickle? Is there a pickling program? Would we call it a pickling program? I would call program? it a pickle program. Okay. We normally have about anywhere from seven to eight in-house at mm. a time, from pickled carrots, pickled cauliflower, curry pickles. Uh, we pickle grapes. Yes, the pickled grapes are so good. And on the cheese plate? Uh-huh. Yes. We put them on the charcuterie boards, too, just because people think it's weird. And I like it because it's weird. So good. Um, speaking of grapes in Alabama, are you doing anything with muscadine grapes? I feel like muscadines are so indicative of, of Alabama, and you really don't have much wine there, but you do have, like, incredible muscadine wine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of muscadine wine. It's just, it's specific. It is specific. <laughs> it's just too sweet for me, and that's what, yeah. not my preference. But I love working with the grapes. Um, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is... is Obviously, you squeeze the muscadine, squeeze the pulp out. I love using the skins. Really? And extracting all the color from the skins. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we do everything with grapes. Let's talk a little bit more about kind of like the family influence on the restaurants. You've touched on it a little bit here and there, but talk a little bit more about kind of your family's background in farming and specifically farming in the area that the restaurant's in and how that translates onto the menu today. So, obviously, most of the all that background is my mother's side, and that's my grandpa Kennedy that uh, originally was a cotton ginner. His dad was a cotton ginner. They were the first, uh, the first family in Alabama to have two cotton gins. And I mean, so you just think about the history of, of all of what that means. So eventually they sold the cotton gins, got out of the cotton ginning business, and grandpa wanted to be more of an agriculture farmer. He wanted to actually do like food. So he was a cattleman first, and then he started building his fish farms in the 70s and was one of the first people I've ever heard of to grow tilapia mm -hmm. in the U.S. Which is everywhere now. And so, I mean, at a certain point, well, this is before now, it's just considered an absolute trash fish. Right. But for our family, it was always, it was important because Grandpa was a pioneer in it. Um, I mean, he even, he had trouble selling it because nobody had even heard of it. It was so easy to raise, and he could get them very large. They were very clean. Uh, so he, he told everybody they were freshwater snapper. Mm. I just I remember, like, so is this a real snapper? Like, mom, mom was like, uh, no, it's, it's definitely tilapia. I'm like, <laughs> but he said it's snapper. So this is at Grandpa's restaurant. Um, I can still remember when he, it used to just be a fish market right across the street. Then my mama Jean would, would work the fish market, and people could go in and buy tilapia and fish and, uh, they'd buy some frozen shrimp throw in there, and um, I still remember the big yellow, the yellow mellow, or mellow yellow, sorry, yeah. mellow yellow Coke machine we had in there. And if I if I took the fly swatter and killed enough flies, Mama Jean would buy me a mellow yellow. So I was always running around the fish house killing flies, and uh, I still remember the guys that worked for Grandpa that they had a big board in the back, a two by four that had nails on it, sticking out, and they would take the catfish fresh. Mm -hmm slap the head on the nail, 
put a little slide in it and grab them with skin and pliers and just and just skin them that fast. Um, I mean, it was pretty impressive. I mean, they could dress 100 pounds of catfish within an hour. And so for us, going to Grandpa's farm, feeding the fish, he even had a hatchery where he would spawn the fish, put them in a hatchery. He built his own hatchery. Um, so he was an absolute entrepreneur. If he wanted it, he would just build it. And anywhere on the property, he utilized whatever corner of land he had. And he had about 2,000 acres, so he had plenty of land. But he was extremely resourceful. And so a lot of the concept of Acre is living off the land the way that Grandpa did and, and watching him as a child. Um, so if you go to Acre, we're downtown, you know, two blocks from campus by the football stadium. And our little Acre is wrapped in fruit trees, orchards, gardens. So, I mean, just to name it, I'll start from the front door. I'm going to spin a circle with All you right. real quick. So you got Meyer lemons, blackberries, Arbuckina olives, two Tumor's Oak clones, uh, trees that my brother did. You got apples going down a fence, plums up the other side, peaches across the back of these apartments, pears in the middle and the median by the valet. You got a strawberry patch by the valet. Then you got uh, fig tree and persimmons in the corner. You got a watermelon patch under that. You got blueberries running up the gas station, pineapple guava behind the building. We got bay laurel trees planted by the exhaust of the AC units and the exhaust winters them over. You got lemongrass planted there as well. And then we got satsuma oranges behind the fireplace on a hearth. So it keeps it warm. It's planted on the south side of the building. So the north wind blows over the top of it. And then we've got our vegetable garden that runs the length of the building. That's normally a cornfield. It's about 75 feet long. So I mean, it's like a tangible amount of corn. And then we've got our herb beds that are over by the valley. And then we've got edible flowers. Did you work with anyone who told you like strategically where to plant certain plants around the restaurant for like these overwintering techniques? Yeah, so originally there was, uh, you know, one of my friends in town, his name was Edwin Marty. And Edwin uh, put together Jones Valley Urban Farm, teaching farm, and he also went into Montgomery and helped with uh, some urban farms in Montgomery. And then he moved to Austin. I think Austin, Texas recruited him. So now he is, and I haven't spoken with him in a while, but it was Edwin Marty that uh, definitely was incremental in, in, you know, getting that organized and laid out properly. That's so interesting. I, I knew, I always have seen all the amazing, uh, the gardens and everything, but I didn't know that there was so much in, in them. I didn't, had no idea of the trees and things. Um, back to the thought about fisheries, I think one of the cool resources you have just down the street is Auburn University. Mm -hmm. It's a land-grant university. They have a really incredible fisheries program. They have a really uh, incredible, like, uh, beef beef lab. Is, it, is that what it's called? It's Auburn Meat Lab. Meat Lab. So we actually featured Auburn University catfish yesterday through Harvest Select. And so Auburn Fisheries, I, I spoke with Dr. Chapel, um, Jesse Chapel, who also does some honey and some satsuma oranges for me but he happens to be one of the professors at Auburn Fisheries. Mm. And they all know my grandpa, or knew my grandpa. Wow. Um, you know, even Dr. Jensen, the dean, they, they all considered my grandpa Kennedy a pioneer. And so I have a great relationship with Auburn Fisheries. They sent their catfish down to Harvest Select, who cleaned it, processed it, and packaged it and brought it up for us so that Sarah and I could smoke that fish yesterday. Incredible. Is so that, that something that happens regularly with the restaurant as well? Are you serving, like food that's collaborated, do you collaborate with Auburn University on some of the yeah, menu items absolutely. every day? 
Well, and so obviously at the meat lab, you know, they have a full 100% USDA certified kill floor processor. And for us as chefs to get something like a, a fresh pig locally, we have to go through a USDA processor. And the only one within a two hour distance, any direction is Auburn University. And they don't just allow anybody to go in there like, hey, everybody bring here, we're a processor. Like, they don't do that. They are a research for students that run the lab as part of their program. And when they, they do raise cattle and pigs. And so from time to time, we can call them and either Barney will let me invite a farmer to bring their pig to him on a specific day that they're already slaughtering. And he'll allow us in, in line with the farmer and we just have to pay the kill fee. And if not, we can actually buy a pig that was raised by the students and slaughtered by the students. And we do that often too. But if I want a heritage pig, you know, like from like Tank Jackson from Holy City Hogs or something like that, then we have to communicate with Barney and get on his schedule and he'll allow us to come in there and do that. And that is the, the reason we have a charcuterie program. That's, that's very cool. Um, are there any other ways that you, um, Acre, your chefs, work with Auburn programs or students? Other than I'm oh, sure yeah. a lot of students are working at the restaurant. I, I mean, <laughs> from fine arts programs to, I mean, science and mathematics, engineering programs, uh, definitely the hospitality, the Auburn University Hotel Restaurant Management Program. Which is a great one. Extremely great. Um, they're actually, Auburn is building a culinary school now. Really? As part of that program. And so uh, one of my friends, Hans van der Ryden, yeah. has been a, an absolute pioneer at putting all of this together. Um, so the culinary scene in Auburn is about to explode and nobody knows it. But as soon as we get a culinary school, I mean, it is on. I knew about the brewing certificate um, that was recently added a couple years ago. Uh, the hospitality program obviously does some wine training. Some It's more on the hospitality sort of front of house side. But that's really exciting about the mm -hmm. culinary program. Can you tell us any more about that? I, I mean, I, right now I just know that they've got the site. I mean, it's it still hasn't even broken ground yet. So I know that they're about to and and about to lift off and get that thing going. And as they put together the programs, there are certain chefs that are around town. Mm -hmm. You've got myself, you got, you know, Rob McDaniel, Leonardo Morelli, Adam Evans, a lot of us that will be just helping consult with that and, and however we can. Very cool. Um, last thing I kind of want to talk about, speaking of Auburn, is that when you were at school at Auburn, you um, cooked in your fraternity house? Yeah. Tell me about that. Probably cooked too much in the fraternity house. So obviously moving from San Antonio, Texas, I wanted some buddies, and so I, my dad was in a fraternity. My brothers were in fraternities. My mother in a sorority. Um, all my aunts and uncles were fraternity sorority. Grandpa Kennedy was in a fraternity before he got shipped off to the war. Um, so I, I got in a fraternity to just meet people, and then I realized they had a kitchen, and they were cooking. And they were, you know, oftentimes they had a chef there. One of my good friends, Matt, um, who's now a pastor, but he was kind of chefing and then and enjoying just being the fraternity house cook. But for special events, I would go in there and, I mean, I would really cook. Like, I would invite all the brothers to, to go, you know, get a date. We'll have date night. And I'd do crawfish boils and catfish fries. And um, one night I did, uh, you know, beef skewers. And so many people piled in for, like, just skewers of beef. 
because they thought it was so fancy, um, you know, with like onions and peppers. And mm-hmm. um, at one point, my sophomore year of college, or going into my sophomore year in the summertime, I got a job on a fishing boat in New Orleans, and I wanted to actually have some experience as a deckhand. I wanted to do it, you know, in Destin somewhere because my family goes to Grayton Beach, you know, where the Red Bar is, yeah. and it just you know, unfortunately burned down. But um, that's that's where we have history. But I grew up fishing in New Orleans and grew up fishing in Texas, and so uh, somehow landed this job on a fishing boat. And they would fly me out of the canals in a little pontoon plane, land in the water, and ski up to the boat and drop me off. And it was a barge boat that had 30 beds on it, could sleep 30 people, and it was a house built on top of a barge. It had a walk-in refrigerator, the works. And whatever we caught in the trawl nets, we trawled for bait. Uh, If we caught shrimp, we made shrimp creole. If they caught redfish, redfish on the half shell. They got trout, we'd do trout chowder, Um, you know, go gig and flounder at night. So I learned so much cooking from that experience as a frat house chef and cooking in the frat house. They voted me the kitchen steward eventually, um, which I didn't even know was a job, but they actually paid me. The fraternity paid me to go in and, you know, coordinate the meals. And then obviously that experience is a deckhand. Well, that's fascinating. Um, thanks for sharing some of your formative cooking experiences with us and telling us about the two restaurants in Auburn and mm-hmm. how you work with the university, which I knew a little bit about, but it's been fascinating to hear more. Um, and especially thanks for telling us about the work you're doing to help people affected by the tornadoes in Lee County. That's amazing. Awesome. Community close to my heart. So I'll see you in Auburn, David. Yeah, War Eagle. War Eagle. All right. Um, I'm Kat Johnson, and we will be back just shortly with some amazing wine interviews with Sam Ruby. so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.